21 years ago today, do you remember if you're old enough? I realize that's always kind of amazing when somebody wasn't even born 21 years ago. But uh, 9-11, what we call 9-11, September 11th, 2001, if, uh, and many of you just like, if you're old enough, you remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated and events that kind of rocked our, our world and uh, culture. But 21 years ago, today, September 11th, 2001, uh, America was attacked by terrorists in and, and, uh, three different locations. Uh, airliners that were used as weapons uh, were used to bring destruction when America was attacked. And as a country, we've never been the same since, have we? I mean, you don't have to... Uh, visit an airport to know how that has changed. Everything has changed since 9-11, 21 years ago. And, uh, and again, as a reminder where we were, and it just is also a reminder as we reflect back on this day 21 years ago of just how uncertain the future is. Uh, that morning... People who went into the work at the World Trade uh, you know, Center, the towers, went into the work for the Pentagon, got on the planes, got on the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. Uh, certainly, I doubt any one of them thought, this was my last day on earth, my last day. And we certainly never could anticipate. I know in hindsight, there's prognosticators that anticipated this or anticipated that, but certainly we could not anticipate the future. And just a reminder, the future is uncertain. And what often happens in uh, the fear of thinking about what's ahead, even for our own lives, as, you, as we, I sort of say, some of us, but guess what? All of us are getting older. Some of you, some of us are more cognizant than others. But as we get older, we're more cognizant of the uncertainty of the future. We worry about health care. We worry about you know, will there be enough money to take care of me? Will there be this? Will there be that? Uh, they're just the normal things that we obviously should have some stewardship in our thinking. There's nothing wrong with that. But the uncertainty of the future is something that oftentimes can, can grip us in a way to where it breeds and brings in a, a fear that seems to control us, seem to dominate us. Um, it's because we don't know. We like to be in control. We don't know what's going to happen. We like to know. We like to know what's going to happen. But, the unknown, but tomorrow is unknown. It is not known yet. And nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. Not even Nostradamus knows what's going to happen in the future. It's always kind of fascinating how they could get him to predict everything from you name it. They always drag him out. Um, but that tomorrow is uncontrollable, what we know about tomorrow. But the good news is, is the one who controls tomorrow uh, knows all things. And the future, the Bible promises us, is that God is in control of our future. And there's no need to have the fear of the future. And this morning, we're going to uh, look at just one verse. Really, this is a little more topical as I was having some different ideas thinking about this morning. And, you know, September 11th is a pretty significant event, but I've I didn't want to necessarily spend time talking about that, but it reminded me again as, as we contemplated 
and remind ourselves not only just for that, but think about the future of what Russia's doing and what the Ukraine is going on there and what the effects that's going to have and already happening. Uh, Israel and Iran, and there's so many things that as we look at it, it almost overwhelms us, and at times it almost makes, them, makes us numb into thinking, you know what, uh, as though nothing is happening, but, but we don't want to be gripped by fear. And the title of this morning's message is Your Future and God's Faithfulness. And I kind of put a subtitle there, Being Free from the Fear of the Future. Being, fe- being Free from the Fear of the Future. And Psalm 34, verse 4, one simple verse there that uh, will be on the screen that we'll read together, or you read it as I read it, just says this, Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You know, God wants you to be free from the fears that control and grip your life, and He wants you to have a renewed confidence in Him. And this morning, we're going to look at the Word of God and draw some encouragement around uh, being free from our fears, especially the fear of the future. Number one, a couple of principles we'll look at and some sub-principles. But number one, if you're uh, taking notes, is number one, let's look at the biblical principles about the future. Number one is the biblical principles about the future. What does the Bible say? Well, there's uh, three words that I'll give you and explain them. Number one is the word providence. Number one is the word providence. And providence, the simple way, is that God knows everything about the future. He controls the future. God knows everything about the future. Hebrews 4.13, Scripture that reminds us, says this, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him, to whom we must give an account. So God is God never has to learn anything about what's ahead. He knows what's ahead. He uh, he knows everything. God is not surprised by anything. He never says, "Oops, I didn't see that coming." No, He knows everything. In fact, one of my favorite passages of Psalms is in Psalm one thirty nine. Psalm one thirty nine, verse sixteen, and I think I have the NIV up there. It says, "Your eyes." saw my unformed body. This talks about the life in our mother's womb. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. All my days were written in your book. And we can have confidence in the future because God knows everything in the future. He has his purposes and his plans already laid out for our lives in the future. Now, it doesn't mean that it's just kind of a fatalistic view of God. We're certainly involved in that. We make choices. We make good choices. We make bad choices. But the fact is, is that God sees my life. He doesn't see it just here and now. You know, um, some of you uh, uh, may have a, a, a drone, or I've bought one for my kids for, for Christmas, and, and now drones are kind of a, not only are they used in warfare, but they're just kind of common. And you know that cameras, you can have all, and spend all sorts of money, and you can take that drone up, and now realtors, you know, use it for their for homes and videos of property and, and law enforcement. And why? Because they can see the beginning to the end. They can see the big picture. Well, I want to encourage you that God has the big picture. He controls the big picture. All my days were written 
in your book. God has a book, uh, and uh, he knows my future. But notice, secondly, is the word plan. God has a plan for my future. God has a plan for my future. Uh, He has purpose for my future. Uh, Scripture that uh, I think many of us love is Jeremiah 29, 11. And sometimes people say, oh, you can't quote that. That's for Israel. Let me tell you something. If I'm under the blessings of Abraham, I'm grafted in as a Gentile into the family of Israel, and all those blessings are what? Now mine by virtue of my connection in Christ through the blessings of Abraham. So those covenantal blessings, guess what? I can get in on all those too. So I have every right to claim this and believe this for my own life. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's design. That's God's plans. And He invites us into that. He invites us to be a part of that. They're good plans. Romans 8, 28, my favorite verse. I guess Jim likes to talk about encourage and the transformation people to have a life verse. I guess this is really my life verse because I quote it so much and people, and I love it because it just says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It's conditional. If you're not a part of the family of God, I don't want to lie to you and tell you all things are going to work together for your good. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that all things work together for good. Now, you remind, remind you, I remind myself, it's what God determines is good. All things work together for God's good, according to God's plan. And, and, and so sometimes, and I think about always Joseph. I can't read that verse without thinking about Joseph and his uh, statement when he, at the end of uh, Genesis uh, at, was it Genesis 50 when he said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. It doesn't mean that there's an absence of suffering, there's an absence of evil, but in spite of all that, whether they're things that we have done, actions that we have made, or things that have been made against us, guess what? God is, as we learning on Wednesday, experiencing God, God is always at work, and in our lives, He's working all things together for the good and glory of him, and we can have confidence that God has plans for my future. But thirdly, another biblical principle, and there's many, is that is the word presence that God will be with me every step of the way. I don't have it on the screen, but do you remember when Moses, when God wanted Moses to go before Pharaoh, and uh, Moses said, I will not go unless you go with me. If your presence does not go, I'm not going out there alone. And that's, again, the principle is the presence of God is God will be with me every step of the way. We can have confidence. These are just reminders of the principles that why I don't have to be gripped by the fear of the future is because God has promised me is that he will be with me uh, every step of the way. Hebrews 13.5 tells us this, I will never leave you nor forsake you, quoting Jesus. The presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit, God will never leave us nor forsake us. This is what we call or reminded of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, the great hymn uh, that we love. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. You know, God's faithful. And it's interesting that any problem that we have, there's always a corresponding either name of God 
or an attribute of God that is tied with it. And the faithfulness of God is what brings us, and the reminder of the, this characteristic or attribute of God is what reminds us and brings us to our second main heading is concerning biblical promises for my future, okay? Not just biblical principles about the future, but what about biblical promises for my future? And what are the promises of God? What does the faithfulness of God mean? What is this attribute of God, this faithfulness? It means that God is faithful to his own character, his own self-being, if you will. That means God cannot lie. God cannot break his law. He cannot break his word. He's true to his word. So when he makes covenant... And there's multiple covenants, but the main covenant we oftentimes that everything is derived from is that covenant he made in Genesis 15 with Abraham is that that was an unconditional covenant. God just says, these are things I'm going to do. There are some things like the Mosaic covenant that are conditional. I will do this if you do this. You obey me, you'll be blessed. But the covenant of Abraham, those were unconditional covenants. Those were things that God was initiating, that he would... He would do that. He would bring about. Why? Because he's faithful and God would be violating his very character if he reneged on any of those promises. Now, again, I can't, I can't, I'm not, you know, when I think about even things like his promise to Israel, you know, we may have different, there's different understandings of how that's going to be worked out. But one thing you cannot abandon is that God has made a covenantal promise to the nation, to his nation, Israel. And how that all gets worked out, I'm just making the point is that God cannot lie. And what God makes as a promise, you can have confidence in what God is saying. You need confidence. I need confidence if I'm not going to be gripped by the fear of the future. I love 2 Timothy 2.13. It's 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, and we are faithless, let's be honest, <laughs> we're, uh, we're faithless a lot. Faithless, that means we, we, we have less faith, right? That's why some of you, again, responded. You said, I, 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 have, I, need, I have less faith. I need faith this morning. I need to, I need to have, be full of faith this morning. If we are faithless, what? He remains. Isn't that great? He remains faithful. For he cannot disown himself. He cannot go back and not keep his Word, Psalm 145, verse 13, the NIV reads, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Verse 13, the latter part, the Lord is trustworthy in all He promises and faithful in all He does. You need to make note of that. You need to put that somewhere where you can see it. Put it in your mirror when you're brushing your teeth or whatever. Put it somewhere, you're going to be reminded, because guess what? Our brains are really good at creating our own fear and turmoil, and we need to be reminded that the Lord is trustworthy in all that He promises, and He is faithful in all that He does. And so this morning, uh, you know, somebody, again, I don't know who counts these things, I certainly didn't, but that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. And we're going to look at each one of those this morning. No, we're not going to do that. All right, just make sure you're awake. But, but the promises of God, time after time, God says, if you trust me, if you will trust me, I will do this in your life. And this morning, I want to look at just four this morning 
briefly in the time that we have here, four of these promises of God as they relate to our being uh, not fearful of the future, the promises of God. Number one is I can depend on God to guide me when I'm confused. I can depend on God to guide me when I'm confused, when I don't know the way, uh, when I'm filled with questions, when I'm facing new challenges, new decisions. Again, the promise of the Holy Spirit is come alongside of us to be a helper, to be a guide. I can know that God isn't out there trying to just make my life miserable. That if I will call on the name of the Lord, that He hears me. The name of Jesus. He answers the name of Jesus. That He will guide me when I don't know the answer. James tells us, I don't have it on the screen, but if any of you lack wisdom, do what? Ask. Ask. You ever tell somebody who said, well, I, you know, I'm, and they kind of made a mess of something, and you're like, well, why don't you just ask me? Well, I, I don't know. I just try to figure it out on my own. Now, you got to go in there and fix it and clean it up, whatever. They just would what? Just ask. I'd tell you and tell you how to do this. Well, God can give us divine knowledge and strategy, strategy of how to do something. And you know what I found is that oftentimes God's strategy is different than my strategy. How God would direct me to do something sometimes isn't the way I would do something. God might have you do something like, well, um, you know, instead of maybe filing that court case against that person, why don't you you bless that person? Well, I know that's of the devil. That's crazy. I'm not going to do that. You know what? Because kingdom principles are always upside down. Have you realized that? It's always upside down from our common sense. I don't want common sense. I want divine sense. I want God's sense, right? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I'm going to have the living translation up there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You ever lean on something and it gave way and you fell over? Why? Because it wasn't sturdy. It wasn't really, you're just leaning like this, and next thing you know, it's crashing over. Why? Because what you're leaning on couldn't hold the weight. Lean on God. Lean on Christ. He can hold the weight. Don't lean on your own understanding because you can't. I can't. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just buffet Christianity where I want a little this, a little that. Oh, I don't want that. I don't like that. I don't like that. One time I remember I took one of my sons to Rick to Golden Corral, the men's breakfast. You know, Golden Corral, it's like, you know, $59.95 for the buffet or whatever it is. I don't know. And he came back with a plate and had a couple of fries, a chicken leg, and a, a bunch of candy corn. You know what candy corn is, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. You're going to go fill that thing up, you know, right? No, we just get, we just pick and choose. That's the way we do God. God, I like this. I don't like that. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to be graceful. Oh, I want you to give me lots of grace, but don't expect me to be graceful. Don't expect me to be forgiving. You see, God provides the promises, but the action, as we're learning on Wednesday night, is there's, there's, a, there's a crisis of belief. There's a crisis where I'm going to either... See, I, sometimes we just, 
We hear what God says, but then it, it creates too much friction in our life to step out and obey it. And there's that crisis of belief, I think it's step number five in the Experiencing God study, where we have to have a crisis of belief in the sense of either, am I going to continue to lean on my own understanding, or, I'm going to, or am I going to trust God in this? You realize God always knows more than you do? I mean, He really knows more than you do. I mean, He can get into people's hearts and know their minds and hearts. You don't know what... God is doing. And again, if he's always at work, he's always working his purposes and plans. And instead of waving my little agenda at him, say, God, I want to get in on what you're doing. That's where the peace is, all right? So I can depend on him to guide me. Quit reading those horoscopes. You're not going to find anything there. Nothing there. Not going to help you. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him means, I think the uh, old King James says, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. Secondly, I can depend on God. We're talking about being free over the future. The promise, I can depend upon God to keep me free from the future, to walk in peace, because He will assist me when I'm tempted. He will assist me when I'm tempted. Look at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you or has been, uh, uh, yeah, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. One thing that is certain is that, is that regardless of the future, one thing that is never going to change and is that is that you're going to live a temptation-free life. Temptation, I'm not just talking about the more salacious sins, but I'm talking about temptation for anger and bitterness and resentfulness and, and retribution and, and, and all those things that it kind of the old self that we became very accustomed to. He says, no temptation is so irresistible, one translation says. It's not so irresistible that God is not giving you a divine strategy of how not to be overtaken. You see, the dilemma is not the temptation. It says, look, it's common. You live in this earth, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to do things you know are contrary to the Word of God because they're just common to mankind. The problem is not the dilemma, but the decision we make in the moment of temptation. You hear what I said? It's the decision we make. It's the decision we make. Jesus was tempted at every point, but the Bible says he was without sin. It's not sinful. It's not sin to be tempted. It's the decision we make when we are in that temptation. And that's always a choice. Am I going to obey God? Am I going to follow God's way? Or I'm going to do what has just been my comfort for so long and just kind of give in and do what I think is right. That's that leaning on my own understanding. You see, what we need is, again, God's perspective for my life. We need the big picture that God has on my life. 
God says he will not allow you to go beyond what you can bear. The problem is we just keep adding more stuff into, because we're not obeying God when the temptation comes. You know, well, I'm tempted to go to, the, I'm just going to pick something, you know, I'm tempted to go to this place where I know I'll engage in certain activity and blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? You had to get in your car, start it up, drive over across town, call one of your buddies, whatever. You had to go into, I mean, you're not like just some you know, robot. You made a bunch of little decisions all along the way, and then you're like, all of a sudden when disaster comes, you're like, look at what God has done in my life. He's made a mess. Really? Really? You're the one that did all this. You're the one that brought all this on. God gave you lots of strategies. Instead of maybe going here and doing that, why don't you, why don't you, go, why don't you call a, a brother? Why don't you call somebody and say, man, I'm really having a tough time. Can we meet at Panera's for coffee? Can we do this, that, and the other? In other words, God will give you a strategy to always navigate around the landmines. And life is full of landmines. And to use another metaphor, if you're just going to think, hey, I've run so many red lights, I hadn't got hit yet. Give it time. Give it time. Temptation. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It doesn't mean you're always going to be immune or free from suffering. Because sometimes the temptation and things that occur in this mix come because of other people's unwillingness not to give in to certain temptations. And we inherit and we're connected to their mess. But for you, what am I saying? Is that God is faithful. God, this situation is overwhelming. I feel like just everything is screaming to do this. But God, you are faithful. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, what was the game show where you could call in a lifeline? Was it whatever that? Okay. Uh, I know it wasn't Jeopardy, so that's the only show I watch. But anyway, you can call it in the ultimate lifeline. To say, God, I need, I need your strategy. And sometimes, you know what his strategy is? I remember being a young man and being someplace I wasn't supposed to do, be, be where, where I was supposed to be. You know what the divine strategy of God in that moment was? Get out! What did Joseph do? He ran! Well, I'm just going to kind of hang out for a little longer. You know, I'm going to just kind of Take, you know, like the fire on a stove. I just kind of want to see how close I can get my fingers to that burning red, hot red. You know, I just want to see. You know, some people live their life like that. They want to just see how close they can get to doing something wrong and that just feeds their own. T- they want to just see how close they can get without being burned. Run, flee, change strategies. I tell some guys that just said, you know, I just... Man, I, I just have a really issue of watching stuff I'm not supposed to watch. Well, how many uh, subscribing channels do you have? Oh, I got the whole big package. I get everything, you know, for $350 a month on Spectrum. I get, I get everything. Well, look, I'm not a genius, but maybe start there. Well, I don't have any money to give the church, but I spend 300 whatever on the Spectrum or whatever. That's, that's messed up. And you, you're trying to figure out how to navigate your Christian life? 
Just start there. It doesn't take, a, again, a rocket scientist to just say, look, avoid the temptation. If you're an alcoholic, don't get a job at Publix Liquor Store in the liquor department. Put yourself in... That's why it's so important to be connected into a family of believers on a regular, consistent basis. Why? Because you are connected and building up relationships that will encourage you and, and you can encourage others. But if all you're doing is, is hanging out over here and wondering why it's so hard to live the Christian life and avoid temptation, flee. Get out of there. Stop. There's another principle. What was that? Was that the third one? What's the next one? Third one. Third one. To support me. I can trust God to support me when I'm overwhelmed. A little different than temptation. It's when I'm overwhelmed. When my heart is overwhelmed. The song we used to sing in church. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Uh, Isaiah. Isaiah somewhere. Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. From the New Living Translation again. When you go through deep waters... The Lord says, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Isn't that a great verse from the New Living Translation? When you go through the rivers of difficulty. Some of you are out waiting out in the rivers of difficulty. God says you're not going to drown. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to rely on Him. You've got to believe in Him. You know the story, probably know you've heard it, the little boy fell off a cliff and, and uh, he's just hanging there by his bare hands and he's praying and you know, calling out to God and an old boy comes up and says, here, uh, take, the, take this rope. No, 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 I'm waiting, on, I'm waiting on God's deliverance. Another comes up and helicopter goes by and, and says, hey, you know, we'll, we'll come close and rescue you and get you off that cliff. No, 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 I'm waiting on God to deliver me. And all these things happen. After a while, he loses his grip and falls and in the presence of God. And he's like, God, why didn't you rescue me? He goes, well, listen, I sent you a guy with a rope. I sent you a helicopter. You know, sometimes we just like that. We just like, God, I've got myself in this mountain of debt. Took me 10 years, 20, whatever. And God, I just want you to, I just want to say a Holy Ghost Shazam and get out of it. Instead of making choices and decisions, that crisis of belief. Am I going to follow God and put His plan in action, or am I going to just stay where I'm at? And begin to trust God to walk me through this journey. Why? When I'm going through these rivers of difficulty, God says, I'm not going to let you drown. You know, I've told this story before. Uh, years ago, I uh, was on a missions trip to Jamaica. And the last day in Jamaica, there was the, what is the big, is it Angel Falls with the, the water? Anybody, is Marbury? What is it? Okay, all right. And we were going to go out there and, you know, just have a, a fun day. Because, you know, when you're, you do mission trips, it's nice to have a day where you can just uh, do something fun and enjoy the sights or whatever. And I remember, you know, the, a lot of friends and people, they were out, they had swam out and they were on this sandbar. And they didn't look that far. And they were like, hey, come on out of here, come on out of here, there's a sandbar. And I said, okay. 
I started swimming out there. And I don't know what happened, but that sandbar, I tell you, that thing kept moving further and further out. Now, I'm not saying I'm Mark Spitz, a great somebody that's a generational person. Uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I can swim, but I was getting tired. And I knew, and I was in deep water, and I knew I was in trouble, potential trouble. Because I was really exerting more energy, and that thing just, you know, I was like, good grief, how far is this out here? Now, it didn't help that my mother, God rest her soul in heaven, said before I went on this trip, mothers, don't do stuff like this. Mothers can do crazy stuff. I just feel like something bad's going to happen to you. <laughs> I'm out here in this water thinking, thanks, Mom. You know, now I got this thing in my brain. This is it, right? But here's what kicked in. I said, Tim, you're not going to drown. You know what to do. You know what I did? I could always swim easily on my back. And I just got on my back and started swimming back to shore. I could relax. I wasn't straining. I wasn't tired. And I got back on the shore, thought, fat boy, don't ever do that again. <laughs> you won't go through rivers of difficulty and, be, and drown. Why? Because God has taught us, what do you do? You rely on what you know, what you've been trained to do in moments of difficulty. Do it God's way. When I got on my back, Ida Johnson, who taught me swimming lessons when I was eight or nine years old, thank God for her because I could just, just, I'm here to tell the tale. But what I'm telling you is, is that when we go through those times, when we feel like the moment's going to overwhelm us, we have a choice. We have a decision, Christians. We have a decision we can make. Are we going to lean in and just keep striving and fighting harder? You know, if I just said, no, I'm just going to give it a little more push. Well, that wouldn't have worked. Instead of saying, you know what? I hear your warning, Holy Spirit. I'm going to lean in and do what I know your word says to do and get myself back to a place of safety. And here's the deal. Make that decision now before you're in the temptation. You see, because if you think that you're going to make that decision in the heat of the moment, you probably are not going to do it. But when you decide beforehand, when Joseph fled out of, was it Potiphar's wife, right? When he fled, you know what? He had made that decision that he was going to live a life of integrity and honor, not just to the Lord, but to his boss, Potiphar. He made that decision beforehand. Not when he got in the situation in the heat of the moment. He made that decision beforehand. There are 365 fear knots in the Bible. And God has given us His Word, His promises God will strengthen us. You see, the strength I need will come when I need it. You see, the Lord taught us to pray, and here's the principle, give me this day my daily bread. I don't want just daily bread. I want tomorrow's bread. I want next week's bread. I want a whole survivalist closet, you know, for the Armageddon that's coming of bread so I can withstand the future. You know, we, we kind of 
No, you just get daily bread. Just like those Israelites in the, in the desert, they only got a double portion on the day, on the sixth day, because they couldn't collect it on the Sabbath day. They just got a daily portion of bread. Why? Because every day is my absolute 100% dependency for God to sustain my life. I'm looking to Him every day to give me the strength I need today, today, today. Jesus said, it's not on the screen, Matthew 6, 34. He said, don't worry about tomorrow because each day, each day has enough trouble of its own. But he said, today, today, God's grace is sufficient. And the last principle this morning is the Bible says I can depend on God to bless me when I am faithful to Him. To bless me when I'm faithful to Him. I might even use the word reward. Sometimes we're you know, we're a little hesitant to use that. We're not talking about working for salvation. These aren't, these aren't truths. For, we're not talking about that. We're talking about that if I follow God, I can expect Him to bless me. It's, it's not going to be on the screen. The Lord reminded uh, me of the Scripture this morning. And you may, can just make a note of it and read it uh, at home. But it's from Psalm 19. And I'm just going to read verses 7 through 11. But it's verse 11 I want to get to. But Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Praise God for that. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 19, verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Now, this is verse 11. Moreover, by them, by what? Your word, your precepts, your truth. Moreover, by them, is your servant warned, now listen to this, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Well, we should just obey God because He's blessed us and we owe Him so much. Yeah, I agree with that. But have you found that when you follow God and do it God's pattern and God's way, have you realized that God blesses? He blesses? There's great reward? There's great Blessing in doing what God says? Hebrews 6.10 tells us in the New Living Translation, For God is not unjust. He will not forget. Look at this. He will not forget. He's talking to believers now. Don't confuse this with salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Not of works that we should boast. But we are His workmanship created in Christ Unto good works, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But look at Hebrews 6, 10. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him by caring for other believers as you still do. God pays attention. God sees the good and the choice, choices that you make and God rewards. God blesses those. Remember Jesus even said, and it's not on the screen, but Matthew 25, 44 through 46, 
when he said that I saw even when you gave a cup of cold water to somebody thirsty, when you gave food or clothing, you did it as, he said, I saw that. I saw you do that. I saw some, the way that you bless somebody, even out of your own sacrifice. Jesus said, I saw that. The widow, remember when she came in the temple and gave that little, the widow's mite, the smallest coinage? I mean, it was, and she said, and he said, great is her reward because she gave out of her poverty, right? He saw that. God sees good, and he blesses us. When we obey God, you know what we do? We're like Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man. Now, some of you, I'm not making that up on the fly. That's from my short sojourn as a children's pastor many years ago, right? What did he do? He climbed up in the tree that as Jesus was coming, right? He wanted to see him. He wanted to be positioned to meet Jesus. You see, when you and I obey and follow God, you know what we're doing? We're aligning ourselves and positioning ourselves to be blessed by Christ, to be blessed by the Lord. We're getting in His path of rightness. We're getting his path of obedience. So, listen, this isn't really radical, but you can't expect for you to disobey and and do everything of your own self and then expect God overnight to say, okay, I want to bless you. But you know where it begins? Just simply making one decision and saying, God, from this point forward, and I I mean a quality decision, not just a you know, heat of the moment, good service type. I'm talking about a decision where you say, God, from this point forward, I want to be like, in a sense of that picture of Zacchaeus, I want to position myself in your path of righteousness. I want to position myself in, in, in where you're working and what you're doing so that when you come, I want to be right there. I want to be right in alignment. I want to be positioned right to receive, God, the good things that you would have for my life. Why? Because I'm following your way. I'm throwing your principles. Philippians 4.13 from the Amplified says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. The Amplified expands on it. That means I am ready for anything and equal to everything. Anything. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who, look at this word, I like this, who infuses me inner strength into me, who infuses me inner strength, and I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. You see, we say, God, I'm lacking this. I'm lacking that. I'm lacking faith. I'm lacking love. I'm lacking strength in my moral choices. I'm lacking all these things. But guess what? God is not lacking in any of those. And whatever I'm lacking in, guess what? I can tap in and take from Him to give me what I lack. I can ask Him to infuse me with inner strength to do what He has told me He'll bless me to do. I can not do that in my own willpower, but I can lean on Him to give me the strength. You see, we starts with just admitting and saying, Lord, I am gripped by this fear 
I'm gripped by just the future. I'm just consumed. And there, there are things in your lives in many different ways that, that in a natural, you have every, I guess, normal, I don't say right, but it's normal for you to be gripped by great anxiety and great fear. But just bring that before the Lord and say, God, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Maybe it just needs, I need to hear it out of my own mouth. And say, Lord, I, I can't do anything. I am I'm controlled by this thing. And I need you to infuse me with power and strength to walk through this. I need your divine strategy to help me navigate through this. And then, and then make the step and say, God, where do I start? Where do I begin? To put myself on that right path. That God, you can bless my life. I think it would be an odd person here that would say, you know what, I really don't want God to bless me. I want God to bless me. I want God to bless my church, my family. I want God to bless you. Those are good things. But remember, they're the blessings of the Lord. And He, He, <laughs> He knows not only what is best for our lives, He knows when it is best for our life. Some of the greatest answers for, to prayer in my life are the ones that I thought I didn't get an answer. God always answers prayer. Oftentimes, we don't count the no's as an answer. Right? Some of the greatest blessings of your life is when God did not give you what you prayed for. Why? Because he knew. He knows everything. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is the text where he prayed, Lord, about that thorn in the flesh. And the Lord's answer, I'm sure, maybe, I say would have stunned me, but the Lord didn't give him some big profound answer. He just said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, my power is made perfect in weakness. So, God wants you to be free of the fear of the future of tomorrow. Why? Because he, he controls all things. He knows all things. So, as we walk and trust Him that even in the uncertainties of my life, God, let Your power infuse me with Your power and perfect it in my weakness, perfect it in my fears, perfect it, God, in all the weaknesses that I've accumulated all these years of my life, but begin today afresh to move in my life 